Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Panier, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. Uzbek President Shevket Mirziyoyev visited a military base in the southern part of his country on November 17th and examined the Bayraktar military drones purchased from Turkey. All five Central Asian countries have purchased military drones and most are producing drones on their own territory. It promises to change the security situation in Central Asia dramatically. Who's selling drones to Central Asia and who's helping the individual Central Asian countries produce domestic drones? And as important, what can we learn about the five governments' intentions for using these drones? To discuss all this, I am joined by Derek Bisaccio, Forecast International's lead analyst for international defense markets, specializing in the defense trade in, the, in Eurasia and the Middle East regions. Derek's focus is on major conventional weapons entering service with regional militaries, defense budgets they use to pay for these those systems, and threats that drive the force posture. Francisco Olmos, a senior researcher in Central Asia Affairs at Spain's Geopol 21 Center, and also a research fellow at the London-based Foreign Policy Center, and the author of the article Dawn of the Drone Age in Central Asia in the Diplomat magazine last November. Thank you all for joining me. Fran, let me start with you. Uh, can, can you run us through uh, uh, which countries have which sorts of drones? Sure. Well, uh, first uh, first thing, thank you, Bruce, for having me. So the thing to highlight is all the five uh, Central Asian uh, republics they all have drones in their in their arsenals from since the since the past uh, since the past years. No, but there's the way they've achieved this and the type of drones they have varies significantly from country to country. If we start, for instance, uh, with uh, Kazakhstan, in the Kazakh case, uh, we've seen they've recently well the process of producing with license some Turkish drones, some Anka drones. There was a there was a test flight early this year, so they're they're looking to purchase those drones. While they also have uh, some Chinese drones. A wing long, and when these drones are, you know, for combat purposes, not on surveillance. And uh, they also have other smaller drones like a Russian Orlan 10, which are used for surveillance purposes, two types of Israeli drones, and some small US produced uh, drones at hand launch for, again, for surveillance purposes. Besides this, they're also developing their own homemade drone, the Shagala, that already had a test flight a few years, a few years back. When it comes to Uzbekistan, for instance, well, like you mentioned at the at the intro, we've uh, found out, let's put it like this, uh, recently that uh, they have also uh, acquired some Turkish-made Barakhtar drones, the the TB2s. Besides that, they also had some some uh, Chinese drones, the same as as um, Kazakhstan had. Uh, while in the meantime, they also have other other small uh, drones. Again, American. Uh, made uh, Raven drones, which are for surveillance, and some uh, also Russian uh, Zala uh, Fortune One drones. There we go to, for instance, Turkmenistan. It's probably it stands out as the one that has the most uh, heterogeneous mix of of drones. Uh, from you know, in terms of surveillance, uh, it has Israeli different types of Israeli drones, Italian, Belarusian, some U.S. again, some Russian, and when it comes to unmanned combat aerial vehicles, UCOVs, again, Turkish drones, the the Barakhtar TB2, uh, some other uh, Chinese Chinese drones, and then loiter munitions or 
suicide drones. There are some Israeli uh, drones in this in this case. Maybe also some Belarusian. We we still don't know. If we move on to Kyrgyzstan, well, Kyrgyzstan they've recently started building their arsenal in the past few years, and they're going let's say uh, full on 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 Turkish-made devices. So they have the aforementioned Bayraktar drones. Akinji, Aksungur, and also apparently they also acquired some Anka drones. So the the full catalog, let's say, of of uh, attack drones um, made in Turkey. Tajikistan also have some other minor drones like uh, Russian or land drones for surveillance. Tajikistan is a very different story. They've looked towards in the end towards Iran. So they have some Abba built to uh, Iranian drones. Again, some U.S. Uh, surveillance, uh, small surveillance drones, Puma drones, and and uh, some some Russian ones also uh, small small devices. So as as we see, it's a very heterogeneous uh, mix of 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 drones. Of course, there's, there's some uh, usual suspects there, uh, Russia, Turkey, and so on. But I guess we can uh, discuss it uh, further. Yeah, great. Thanks, um, Derek. Let me bring you in here for a second. But first, I'm going to ask you uh, one question about the U.S. drones because I want to make this clear to our audience. Can you talk about w- what kind of drones the U.S. supplies to Central Asian countries? Because I want to deal with this and then move on to the the more formidable military drones? Yes, absolutely. Um, so what the United States supplies and friend um, hit, hit it right on the head. So there's the RQ-11 Raven, uh, there's the Puma, and then I, I believe Turkmenistan has actually also acquired the Scan Eagle, um, which is a related uh, UAV. All of these are unarmed. Um, they're all for reconnaissance. They're all for patrol, um, you know, for getting out to oil and gas infrastructure. And in, in the case of Turkmenistan, um, or in the case of Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, it's to, you know, to monitor the border um, to make sure that uh, there is an infiltration coming on from, say, Afghanistan or, you know, or the like. Um, but there's certainly these ones, at least from the United States, are not armed. Um, a lot of the other um, drones that that we were talking about and that have, that have come into Central Asia in the last few years are, um, but the American ones are not. Okay, then let me follow up here and ask you the big question. is When you look at, at who's acquiring drones and who's producing them, uh, is can we say there's like a leader? in uh, drone technology in Central Asia among the five countries? So it's definitely seemed like Turkey has has become the leader, um, which is an interesting, it, it's an interesting point um, in the sense that uh, the countries in Central Asia have really been purchasing from virtually any any supplier that has a big drone on the market. Uh, the Central Asian countries are, are certainly interested in them. So they've purchased um, from, e- you know, easily a half dozen or more suppliers. These are large suppliers. These are large com- countries like Russia or China, the United States. Um, but it's also small suppliers or you know, medium-sized suppliers, I should say, like Turkey or Iran or Israel. Um, I think certainly Turkey has has emerged as the as the leader, if you will. Um, four of the five uh, countries in Central Asia operate uh, at least one of their platforms. The TB2 is now in three three countries, with Uzbekistan showing off four of them the other day. The Anka is going into service in Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan next year. Kazakhstan is going to produce it. Um, Kyrgyzstan, I believe, is just off the shelf. Um, and they also purchased the Akinsi as well. So that that has really shown that Turkey is 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 emerging as a big leader. There was talk that they would also sell to Tajikistan, but it seems that Kyrgyzstan kind of put a put a damper on that one after they purchased their own drones from them. Okay, let me throw in one more question real quick to you, Derek, before I go back over to Fran. How many countries does Turkey work with to help them produce their own domestic drones? Do you have any idea? 
I don't have the number offhand, but but a number of them, um, and that's and that's one thing that has really helped uh, the Turkish model out is that they're not just looking to sell off the shelf. I'll give you a comparison: China's drones, for the most part, it seems like a lot of them have just been sold, quote unquote, off the shelf. Um, where you come to them, you walk into the store, you say I'd like a drone, and they sell it to you. Versus Turkey, Turkey will do that as well, um, but they'll also go in and, and sign. Uh, license production agreements so that um, the country itself can localize the supply line. They can hire, you know, their own their own citizens to work in those plants. Um, they might even be able to to achieve export sales as well. In Central Asia, at least, all all four of the countries that have bought Turkish drones, with the exception of maybe Turkmenistan, are looking at drone production locally. Um, I know Kyrgyzstan, I don't believe it's been explicitly said that they will produce Turkish drones, although they've looked at their own drone uh, project. I believe it's called the Sarah 2 um, that was shown off a couple of years ago that they could certainly look into production agreements with Turkey, either for that drone in particular or its subsystems. So they certainly, Turkey has sold its products to dozens of countries over the world. I don't know how many in, in total also have licensed production agreements, but a lot of them. Okay, thank you. Um, Fran, you know, when I when I look at the reports coming out about, you know, who's the drones and stuff, you get the impression that the leadership of all these countries considers this a big prestige thing, right? I mean, they, they really make a big deal out of showing that they have these different kind of drones. Can you talk a little bit about how that, that's portrayed to their own public or to the international viewers, too, that, you know, uh, like Turkmenistan, for example, uh, regularly features these drones in parades. Uh, the security chief in Kyrgyzstan posts on Facebook all the time about drones. Can you talk a little bit about, I don't know, the, the, the psychological culture of drones in Central Asia and what it seems to mean to the leadership there? Yeah, I mean, I will I will cover Turkmenistan a bit a bit later. Let's leave it uh, till the end of the question. So, yeah, we see there on the one hand. So, for instance, if we go on a case by case basis for Kyrgyzstan, I think there's there's two angles to it. There's the the prestige component of you know we're not purchasing you know the latest weapons or you know quite advanced weapons that we didn't have before, and we saw, for instance, President Zaparov, you know, in, in this ceremony signing. On the drones, uh, putting his signature, his signature on them, you know, showing that they're they're reinforcing the the armed forces, and uh, you know they're purchasing this this latest equipment or you know quite quite advanced uh, equipment. So that is that is one thing uh, calling to the domestic audience, and we know President Japarov uh, probably also his you know populist kind of um, segment and uh, a nationalist vibe that he has. But on the other side, there's also a, a PR component or you know or deterring component uh, when we're talking about Kyrgyzstan, given the conflicts that it had in the past with with Tajikistan, saying, "Hey guys, you know we we have now this weaponry," and in actually, in in the latest uh, border conflict, we saw the Turkish drones reportedly in action. For Uzbekistan, same same principles of you know displaying the latest weapons, although probably with less fanfare than than Kyrgyzstan. And Kazakhstan also, you know, the uh, modernization of their armed forces, uh, showing videos of the test flights of the Ankam and so on. For for Turkmenistan, I think it's like most things related to Turkmenistan, we have to look at the leadership and the leadership style. So, I mean, I have no proof of this, but given the, the former president's antics, you know, playing commando and allegedly reportedly flying a, a trainer jet and, and so on. And, you know, the vast array of, 
of uh, different types of drones. It does feel like uh, collecting toys, uh, quote unquote. So I, I think there's there's different aspects to it. Of course, like you mentioned, the prestige. Then you know each regime tries to play to their own to their own public. There's also probably that deterrence component. When it comes to Tajikistan, is a bit uh, is a bit harder because we have not seen that display. I mean, of the five countries. You know, I'm not a military expert, but I think it's the one that's lagging uh, behind. They have some Iranian, Iranian, uh, Iranian drones, but uh, they they seem to have less capabilities. The experts say compared to say the some of the Turkish drones, for instance. So they do not have that uh, that way of displaying. But again, you know, when they build the factory of Iranian drones, you know, it was on TV and and they show you know the the facilities and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's it's a prestige element. Sometimes for the domestic audience. Sometimes also for the international audience, depending on the country's uh, own own situation and uh, and the geopolitical um, situation. Okay, thanks, Derek. You know, when you when you look at the drone market, the international drone market, you know, Central Asia, of course, it's where it's located. Uh, it probably has a lot more pull in the Chinese direction than a lot of other countries. But what, what if you're an international seller of drones? You're selling your drones anywhere. Is there any special appeal about the Central Asian market? So I, th- I think for one thing, number one, it's it's they're willing to talk to any supplier, um, even though they're geographically, they're very close to China, as you pointed out. And, um, you know, it's just as far as historical legacy. And in some of them, even military alliances are very close to Russia. Um, but even so, you know, across the board, you see all of these countries, not just purchasing drones um, from from suppliers around the world. But you see them purchasing all, all sorts of systems. So like with Turkmenistan, what we see is that um, they're willing to go and purchase all sorts of military equipment from a country like Turkey. They're willing to purchase from Israel. They're willing to purchase from the United Arab Emirates. Um, they're willing to purchase from Italy. Um, what that makes appealing for the Central Asia region is that, number one, you have um, an export market to go to. So if you're looking to sell drones, you know that you have countries in that region that are interested that don't have a whole lot of drones and that there might not be a whole lot of attention to for you, you know, as much competition as you might expect. Um, Uzbekistan, for example, um, is one of the larger militaries in the region. Uh, they really only started acquiring combat drones as of like about the last week, actually. They were rumored to have purchased the Wing Long a number of years ago, it was never really seen, and it certainly wasn't seen um, in any military exercises or any drills. Uh, but now it, it appears to be in service. But at the same time, they also showed off Turkish drones. They showed off some Russian uh, reconnaissance drones, and they showed off one of their own. So there's a lot of avenues where where um, defense suppliers around the world can cooperate with these guys. And I think that makes them very appealing. Okay, thank you. You know, because the second part of the show is going to be the meat of the show. So I'm going to remind everybody right now that we're talking about the age of military drones in Central Asia. And my guests are Francisco Olmos, Senior Researcher in Central Asia Affairs at Spain's Geopole 21 Center, and also a Research Fellow at the London-based Foreign Policy Center, and the author of the article, Dawn of the Drone Age in Central Asia, in the Diplomat magazine in November 2022. Derek Bisaccio, Forecast International's lead analyst for international defense markets, specializing in the defense trade in, in Eurasia and Middle East regions. Derek's research centers on major conventional weapons entering service with regional militaries, defense budgets they use to pay for those systems, and threats that drive force posture. Thanks again for being on the show. Now let's let's try to figure out what exactly the Central Asians are going to think they're going to do with these weapons, right? Fran, I guess I'll start with you. You're purchasing this stuff. You make a big deal out of it to your public that you got them. What what do they expect to do with them? 
you know, let, let's start with the Tajik Kyrgyz case because this is the most obvious case. But after that, it gets a little bit more uh, vague as to what their what their intentions are with these drones. Yeah, I mean, from like you said, the the Kyrgyz Tajik case. It became very evident uh, since the, f- the first border conflict, 2021, if I'm not mistaken, that you know both both armed forces were. I mean, they would. Ne- there was always in the region the least buoyant, the least developed uh, of of the of the armed forces in Central Asia, and uh, they looked away uh, forward. Kyrgyzstan looked at drones, I think, uh, as a cost efficient away, right? Because, you know, to have uh, fighter jets and, and so on or advanced uh, helicopters, it has a cost that they cannot afford. But drones, drones they can. I mean, it's, it's, it's a cheaper way. And they put them into action in the in the latest episode of the of the violence with, with Tajikistan. They allegedly destroyed a couple of tanks, um, some rocket launchers and, and a truck or something like this. So, you know, they've again, reportedly been already already used. But so beside uh, Tajikistan, okay, we can see it that it's playing catch-up in, in this sense. We already mentioned it's probably the least strong in terms of drones in the area. But, you know, with the conflict with potential conflict with Kyrgyzstan is always in their mind, I presume. Then we have the, the Afghan angle. So as as Derek mentioned, the, especially the the U.S. surveillance drones. I mean, it's, it's no coincidence uh, that Tajikistan has them, Uzbekistan has them, and also uh, Turkmenistan has uh, one of them. Uh, you know, and they all border Afghanistan. Especially telling for Uzbekistan and, and Tajikistan because they were they were given these drones or with grants and so on in the last couple of years. So pretty much when the Taliban regained control of Afghanistan. So in terms of surveillance, that's I think that's that's a clear view for those countries bordering Afghanistan. Uh, but besides that, I mean, I think it's just uh, another component of their armed forces of these countries. I mean, nowadays in the 21st century, you know, you don't only have like the Air Force with jets or if you have them or, you know, ground forces with tanks and, and so on and so forth. But uh, you also have another uh, branch, which is drones, right? So it's any country, I mean, in the world that's modernizing their armed forces, they're also purchasing drones. And I think in this Central Asia, it's, it's no exception. Of course, with the with the difference that uh, that we just mentioned. I mean, most likely and hopefully, none of them will, will see action, which means, you know, everything is smooth and, and peaceful in the region. So let's hope for that. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, they have to modernize their armed forces and looking at drones, I think, is a also cost effective way. Uh, especially for for some of the countries, namely Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan, that can spend less in their in their army that don't have really an air force. Um, so it's a, it's a way that uh, they can uh, diversify and you know kind of uh, substitute the lack of an air force um, and you know apart from a handful of of Soviet era or Russian made helicopters uh, with with the, with a way with weapons that you know they. They can manage, they can uh, afford to some extent, and that gives uh, their their firepower and that uh, deterrence. Okay, thanks, um, Derek. You know, when when I see them, the Central Asian countries buying all these drones, we presume that this is supposed to be used against militants that you know, maybe entered the country somehow or another. How effective uh, is our drones if you're dealing with small groups of people roaming around the country? So it's, let me put it this way, it's certainly more effective in this kind of gets to what Fran was saying, more cost effective to be using a drone to be going after them to then to have uh, manned aircraft that you're sending out there, either scouting all the time or trying to run strikes with them, especially if you look at the manned aircraft that 
um, are available in the Central Asia region, they also might not be quite as effective. They might not be quite as accurate if you have to actually carry out a strike. So that's where that's where the drones are particularly appealing because Central Asia, in particularly being such a mountainous area and in in many cases very remote, a lot of communities or a lot of border areas are not all that easy to access. Roads getting there, there might actually just be one. Um, there might not be a heliport out there or an airport out there, and you might not have um, rail that can bring you out there and certainly driving vehicles around. So what that what that uh, um, enables with the drones is that you can track things not only a lot more cost effectively and easily, but they can also hang out out there for a while. So a lot of those Turkish drones, for example, that we're talking about, they have endurances up to somewhere from 24 hours to 30 hours, a lot of them, something like that. Uh, so they can hang out out there. So if you get kind of an idea that uh, you know, along a border area in a spot that you want to patrol, you can leave that that drone up there for a little bit and then, you know, replace it as necessary, send another one out or, or, or what have you. But that that gives you the flexibility to not only just monitor it, um, but then for for like the, for the TB2 and a lot of these armed drones, then also allows you to, if you do identify a target, um, you see something that's getting a little too close to your border, then you carry out a strike. There could be, you know, a scenario where there's a bunch of militants that are hanging out on the other side of the border. They're not directly coming across. So you don't know really, really what you want to do with them. But you post a drone, you have it watch. And then the moment they cross, you know, into the border, then you can do something about them. OK, uh, I'm also curious, how, how hard is it? How difficult is it to train local personnel to operate these? It's it, it's certainly not a, a walk in the park, but it's easier than training um, them to operate, say, a manned you know a manned aircraft like a fighter jet, for example. The amount of time that that you're going to be putting into um, them to operate it uh, is going to be a lot a lot simpler. Oftentimes, the controls are a lot easier. In some cases, it might even be a video game controller. Which, if you're you know talking to to young folks or folks that are just enlisting, they probably grew up playing you know playing video games or having exposure to that stuff. So it might even be a little intuitive. One challenge, though, could be um, when you're purchasing these from, you're purchasing them from Russia, from China, from Iran, from Turkey, a uh, big question comes, what, um, what, what instruction manuals come with it and how effective are the countries themselves that are selling them um, at training you? Because usually that comes hand in hand with any agreement. You'll purchase the system um, and you'll also have uh, maintainers that'll come over and they'll train both your operators as well as the folks that are going to be uh, performing maintenance on it. Um, so that's a big question. And then, as, as I was saying, then also the language of the manuals. If you're trying to, you know, if you speak Russian and you're trying to work on a, you know, a system and the only manual you can get is in Chinese, it's going to be very difficult because you need somebody who can translate it or read it. Okay, thanks. Fran, before we get too far away from the, the simple reconnaissance drones, I'm kind of curious. Now, we've, we've been talking about what they're good for in terms of military and security, you know, for, for an external threat, shall we say. Uh, but there's... Also a concern about what these, certainly the reconnaissance drones, what they can do for domestic politics, too, and, and watching over uh, your own population. Um, you know, there was an incident in Turkmenistan in March 2018 where a surveillance drone fell into a neighborhood. Uh, something happened to it and it fell into the neighborhood. The military had to come and retrieve it. Uh, you know, you've been watching Central Asia a long time. Do you get the the idea that certainly in the terms of in terms of the reconnaissance drones, that a lot of this is for domestic surveillance. Well, that's that's a good that's a good question. I mean, every every weapon the state purchases, uh, military purchases, can be turned against you know its own people or against an external enemy. So, and drones are no no exception in in this sense. Of course, knowing the the authoritarian uh, character of of many of these regimes, 
it's it's no surprise that they would be used to surveil or spy on or you know look at their own their own population. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised that uh, that's one of the reasons why they use them. I mean, again, I think probably the the main reason still you know belongs to the to the external threat, especially. Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan, plus those countries bordering Afghanistan. I think that's still the number one use of it, uh, of them. You know, and I, w- I wouldn't think the U.S. would have given those those drones to Tajikistan and Uzbekistan, you know, if they were used to look at their own uh, their own population, right? So, uh, I think that's also worth bearing in mind. But of course, they can they can be used to look at their you know internal descent or to to look at their at their whether people you know or to prevent any movement against against the regime i mean like a few few events in the last years come to mind where i mean i have no i don't think drones were used but why not they could have been used karakalpakstan kazakhstan in in january 2022 i mean again you know those are events where you know as part of the the states uh, repressive or, or or controlling hardware and capacities, drones can be just one more, one more of them, right? So, I wouldn't say it's the main reason why these these drones are purchases are purchased and uh, and how they can be used, but uh, especially more the surveillance ones. Not, I mean, the the strike ones. Things would have to get out of hand really for them to be used. But yeah, why not? It's it's one of the other of the other uses that they could uh, use them for, for lack of a better word. So yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's a good question. I, I don't have a straight answer because getting into the mindset of these regimes, as you know, it's is always a bit tricky. But knowing how their their authoritarian character and how they keep tabs on the population at all levels, right, for their social media or you know preventing demonstrations uh, so controlling dissent so on and so forth drones can be just another tool in the in the arsenal yeah thanks um derek you, you study uh, you're following all kinds of countries uh, can you do you have any examples of domestic surveillance drones being used for domestic surveillance in other countries and what does that what does that look like so so not like a you know a specific like a um, specific event or something where there was like a you know a, a an accident or a catastrophe but certainly you know to kind of just piggyback with the direction that Fran's going it's I, I would you know undoubtedly assume that they would use these especially in in the case of say Kazakhstan in, in, in January in 2022 when that when that issue um, emerged or in, in Kyrgyzstan when they've had um, some uprisings as well. Um, whether they have used them, you know, I don't know for sure, but they certainly, you know, I can't, I can't fathom that they wouldn't, you know, just haven't seen the amount of armored vehicles that they'll deploy and other uh, military personnel just during those. I, you know, I do know just offhand, just looking at like, for example, like um, Kazakhstan, it's Shagala UAV. One of the purposes that they, that they um, put to it is that it could be useful for monitoring oil and gas infrastructure, which, you know, therefore means they're going to be flying around in their own country. Um, right. So, so the point is, if you're if you're monitoring that, you could also monitor disruptions to it. You could very easily just then be using this drone to then monitor protests or monitor, you know, whatever it is that you're looking to use it for. So I, I you know, I would think that's quite likely that they, they would employ it in that way. That's also there's a number of concerns for why the U.S. wouldn't want to export armed drones um, to this to this region. Um, that's not the only one, but that is one of them that the United States wouldn't want to be in a, in a situation where it supplied a Reaper drone to a country that then turned around and, and you know, and fired it at their own people. 
Okay, and let's uh, let's look at how the you know regional ties and and what the uh, age of drones means to Central Asia. I mean, you know, we've seen all right the Kazakhstan, or, I mean, the Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan case, but in the past, before drones were in the area, there there have been some tensions along the border. I mean, Uzbekistan used to not be such a good neighbor. A couple times, their troops crossed in the Kyrgyzstan. Actually, they they crossed into Kazakhstan in the 1990s too, trying to move the border. I mean, when you look at the at the five countries in Central Asia who seem to be getting along pretty pretty well now, uh, do you think, should we be concerned about the fact that they are now arming themselves with these kind of drones? Uh, I'll start with you, Fran. I mean, I don't think it should be a cause of concern per se. I mean, like I said, it's just another element of modernizing and keeping up with the times, purchasing drones. So I don't think it should be a cause for concern, like I mentioned, in this sense. I mean, if they want to have a if there's a border conflict, it's not going to be because uh, one of the countries has drones or the other doesn't or both have, right? I don't think it's 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 going to be a factor that is going to influence uh, the creation of a conflict. You know, there's there's many other reasons that can sit behind uh, regional tensions and, and, and border, border disputes. I don't think drones are one. So for this sense, I mean, it's if, if they purchase or they renovate their helicopter, attack helicopter fleet or purchase either that jet or, you know, anti-aircraft missiles, uh, so like they've been doing, especially Kyrgyzstan in the last, in the last couple of years. I mean, you know, drones are just a component of that. Uh, I don't think they're going to be a cause for concern. It's just them keeping up with the times and arming themselves with the latest quote unquote technology compared to what they had previously, right? So, yeah, I mean, I don't think, uh, you know, that a country has drones or doesn't have drones is going to be some this factor that's going to influence, you know, as to conflict starting. I think the, 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 the reasons are laid, you know, in, in other, in other matters with this border or, you know, the political tensions between countries that hopefully, as you mentioned, you know, now they're most, most of them uh, in the past few years, they've been in, in good terms compared to previous years. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would dispel that as a drones are something that's going to cause trouble per se, but they will be a tool in case there's trouble, like, you know, any other, any other weapons that they have at their disposal. Okay, thanks. Uh, you know, I was just, I was thinking that uh, after the last Kyrgyz-Tajik border clashes in uh, September 2022, the Tajik border guards, for instance, were very concerned about reconnaissance drones. Uh, they were constantly reporting what they said were violations uh, by Kyrgyzstan flying their, their drones over Tajik territory or right along the Tajik border. And it seemed to heighten tensions a little bit in the region. Um, Derek, since we're we're kind of you know down the rabbit hole here with this, is this the start of a a, a drone uh, a drone race in the region? I mean, you know, again, the countries say they all get along together, but now they're all purchasing drones. Is, is this a kind of a drone arms race that's starting here? I, I I think especially in the case of Tajikistan and and Kyrgyzstan, that's a that's a real problem to be watching for. By contrast, for the other three, um, it was around like the mid-2010s that Kazakhstan started showing off its first armed drones, and that didn't really seem to get much of a reaction from the other four. Even you know, if you look at the size of Uzbek, uh, the Uzbek military and the Turkmen military, they're pretty comparable, uh, comparably sized to Kazakhstan. Um, but that, that didn't really seem to raise a whole lot of alarm bells that they were worried that Kazakhstan importing these were going to you know, cause, cause a bunch of issues for them. 
Um, Turkmenistan, of course, did go ahead and acquire a lot of drones and it's purchased a lot. Um, but Uzbekistan, mean, meanwhile, sat basically on its hands for you know the entirety of the 2010s and has only now been starting to bring any in. So that kind of speaks to me that even though those three countries have been overhauling their militaries a little bit, um, they've been looking to bring new things in the system and replace a lot of the legacy Soviet equipment that's still kind of hanging around. Um, even despite that, you know, despite the fact that they're modernizing the militaries, those three haven't really been in a competitive, a competitive arms race. Um, by contrast, their two smaller neighbors, Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan, are really where we're starting to see um, some, some elements of that taking off. As, as Fran said, these, these weapons aren't really exactly changing the nature of, of warfare here. So it's not like they're creating you know, entirely new capabilities that these countries didn't have or that they're really destabilizing things. Um, but they certainly, they offer a lot um, for these militaries in terms of precision. They allow them to be a lot more accurate than maybe they have been in the past. Um, if you look at you know, the way that these clashes with, with Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan were, were usually taking place, Bruce, I mean, you've written about this before, um, where it was something to the effect of like throwing, you know, be throwing stones and fistfights. And then out of nowhere, all of a sudden, it's next thing you know, it's bombs, it's artillery shells and it's, it's drone strikes. Um, so, it, you know, it really shows that where the confrontations occur, um, the, you know, importing these drones are really going to start ma- widening um, the area of destruction and, you know, and potentially expanding the conflict area. One, one real issue that Central Asia faces, so even though in the modern era there isn't as much direct conflict between the, the countries or there isn't, you know, as we we're talking in Uzbekistan going into everybody in the 1990s, um, but there isn't a whole lot of um, multilateral cooperation between these countries either. The United States has tried to do the C5 format that would bring them all in. Um, obviously, three of them are part of Russia's CSTO. Um, and it, every so often they do actually hold multilateral summits just just their heads of state for the five countries. Uh, but there's not a whole lot that's formalized. So it does mean that even though things are fairly cordial now, it could take, you know, a couple a couple changes of governments, a couple bad, bad incidents. And all of a sudden, you know, we're right back into, um, you know, sort of the dark days for the region. If I can add uh, to that, Bruce. And uh, Derek just mentioned briefly some time ago, and when when we're talking about that, I'm racing. He mentioned Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and and the episode when you know after the 2021 clash, that's when we saw Kyrgyzstan step up and start buying Turkish drones. So before that, they didn't have, uh, but because uh, they you know I think Tajikistan got the upper hand um, in that uh, in that conflict in that clash, then we saw them start buying uh, Turkish drones. They they bought Aktar TB2. And then, you know, early, early last year, when I think it was the, the Tajik defense minister went into a trip to, to Turkey, the rumors surfacing that they were also going to buy the same type of drones. And even, you know, who's now the, uh, I think still is the, the, the foreign minister of Kyrgyzstan in parliament, he admitted that yes, Tajikistan is going to buy these drones. So there was a bit of a, panic in, 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 in Bishkek from the Kyrgyzstan authorities. You now that the advantage they had gained, it's going to be, you know, matched, uh, you know, from overnight. In the end, that didn't happen. And uh, we just m- mentioned briefly before, but at the end, that didn't happen. And then Tajikistan looked uh, to Iran for to source its drones. But it does show that uh, that race or that rivalry between these two countries, you know. And, you know, there was a moment in time where Kyrgyzstan thought that this advantage they had gained after purchasing with much fanfare and, you know, Propaganda, if you will, their their Barakter drones, you know, and overnight Tajikistan had was going to match it, right? The end did happen, but it just gives us an indication of you know 
quote-unquote competition between uh, those two countries in in the drone um, sphere. Okay, thanks. Um, we're coming to the end of the show, uh, but I want to give you both a chance to have the last, at least have your last word. Um, and if there's something I missed, then please, this is the opportunity. But the question that I would ask now is, what do you, you know? We're we're past the point of no return with this. People, the, all the countries got them. There's no way they're going to give them up. What do you see as the major significance of the fact that that it is the age of the drones in Central Asia? And I'll start with you, Fran. Well. On the one hand, we see their the armed forces uh, of these countries, you know, looking towards the present and uh, modernizing it uh, themselves. There's also we and we briefly also mentioned the production of domestic drones. So there's all Uzbekistan with their Lochin or Falcon drone, um, which also uh, President Mirziyoyev uh, looked at, and you know, there've been some some videos about that. So those are the, trying to develop their. Uh, domestic capabilities, but these drones are more modest in terms of capabilities. My my question is, you know, as as we at the very beginning of this episode, we mentioned, you know, why why they're purchasing these drones because the the nature of these some of these regimes, the authoritarian nature and the leadership style, uh, one does wonder if the purchasing of lots of drones in the case of Turkmenistan or like four types of Turkish drones in the case of Kyrgyzstan. What if there's also you know a military angle to enhance military capabilities, or if it's just the whims of the the actual leader, right? So this is also something to bear in mind when we look at the future and what the the drones are are going to bring. But uh, you know overall, enhanced capabilities as any other weapon would do, uh, adjusting to. To, to the budgets, um, and uh, I think it's just you know c- Central Asia keeping up with the with the times uh, within within their own means. Uh, I don't think there's anything like negative per se. It's just buying buying other types of military equipment, but you know it's it's a development that is also worth keeping an eye because it does indicate which countries follow which. Uh, let's say in terms of international relations, right? You see Kyrgyzstan in this case realigned to Turkey, which reflects in the in the in the drones you see Turkmenistan neutrality policy with you know five six seven eight suppliers uh, of drones you see Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan leaning towards Turkey to some extent Tajikistan which is love and hate affair with Iran now you know so it does it does also it's, it's good to look at this topic because it also gives us you know with with a bit of of course of measure and and we have to be careful about it but it also gives us an indication where these countries situate themselves in in geopolitics uh, as a whole I think that's one of the also key takeaways that I would take from this. Okay, thank you. Derek, we can give you the last word. What do you see as the major significance of the age of drones in Central Asia? So I'm, I'm looking at it from a couple angles. One, th- one thing that's always particularly in- interesting for me is where they're, where they're purchasing these things from um, and, you know, and what the market looks like. So the, you know, the big thing, and I mentioned this earlier in the interview, but the big thing that kind of stands out to me is you have both uh, the presence of large suppliers and you have medium-sized uh, suppliers uh, from the outside that for, for me, it's very interesting to see these different countries that often you know, are competing with themselves um, then trying to compete for uh, attention in Central Asia. So in particular, Turkey and Iran, um, that Turkey has really interacted with the, the Turkic uh, Central Asian countries. And Iran has meanwhile started to set up um, production facilities in Tajikistan. So the question then becomes for, for that, okay, what's the next step? So if Iran's producing drones in Tajikistan, do they then go ahead and produce uh, you know, armored vehicles, missiles and rockets? You know, maybe that's down the line. That's, that's one of the main things that's really jumping out to me. But then also just on a 
um, force structure side of things or a force posture side of things, um, stepping away from Central Asia just barely to go over to Georgia. Georgia, several years ago, one of the issues they were looking at is they have a fleet of Su-25 ground attack aircraft. And what they realize is that the only country they're realistically going to fight is Russia. And in a conflict, just like in 2008, that they're quite likely to lose those Su-25s and the you know experienced pilots that you paid for uh, to fly them within an hour or two of fighting Russia. Um, so Georgia was looking at, oh, what can we do with drones? And you know we don't. And they wanted to replace their Su-25s. What they came to the conclusion, this is five, six, seven years ago, was there wasn't anything on the market. Well, now there are things on the market, so they're starting to buy loitering munition drones and maybe looking at getting rid of their Su-25s again. So then coming back to Central Asia, my, where, where I'm starting to look and where I like to see um, takeaways is what, what does this mean as far as those countries' inventories? Because like Georgia, they have a lot of systems that um, you know, came from either from the Soviet Union or it was very soon thereafter um, that they that, you know, are making up their inventories. That A lot of that stuff is it's only going to last so long. Um, and it's going to be going to need to be replaced. And it's, it's fascinating for me to watch where they replace it in a sense that's not one to one. So you're not replacing an SU-25 with a, you know, either a new SU-25 or a new um, manned ground attack aircraft. You're really replacing it with a bunch of drones that can effectively do the same thing, even if it looks a little different. It's kind of a long winded way to say I've got two takeaways, but those are my two. <laughs> no, it's great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you both. Thanks, Derek and, and Francisco, for being on the program. We'll certainly be watching the skies over Central Asia in the, in the future. Uh, and a big thanks, as always, to Nathan Shoemaker, our Medjilis podcast producer in Washington, D.C. And a reminder, you can subscribe to the Medjilis podcast or the Central Asia and Focus newsletter by visiting Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfrl.org. Thank you very much, and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.